Hello and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. In today's episode, I once again have the pleasure of welcoming back expert mediator Jane Gunn to discuss her new book, The Mole and the Mountain. In this book, Jane provides a map to understanding the conflict journeys that can arise anywhere and at any time in our lives. Jane also talks about what prompted her to write this book and why more than ever we need to understand how to navigate conflict. We also discuss the narratives and challenges that hold us back from self-determination and authenticity. So please join me as we look at life through a different lens. Hello, Jane, and welcome back to the Perception Podcast. It's absolutely wonderful to have you here. Caroline, thank you. Great to be back. Wonderful. Um, So the last time you were, the first and uh, the former time, I should say, that you were on the show, we had a fascinating conversation um, which clarified any misconceptions that people had around mediation and what mediators actually do um and we also talked about your um past uh past books that you've written and in particular we talked about how to beat bedlam in the boardroom and boredom in the bedroom which um was a book looking at how conflict at work is mirrored at home in our personal life um and now you've written you've written a new book um the mole and the mountain and i really just wanted to um have a conversation about this work because it's really interesting the take that you've the way that you've the way that you've approached this this book um so i'd like to ask you a couple of things first of all is like how is this different from your former work um and what prompted you to write this book interesting Great. Okay. So it's different because I'll quickly show I'll quickly show uh, a copy, and, and you can see it, it kind of looks a bit like a children's book, and it is written uh, as a parable, as a simple story. Um, although it's not a children's book, it's intended, but it's intended for all ages, uh, and certainly my professional clients are reading it, but um, younger people are are reading it too. And I've dedicated it to my three granddaughters as well. So that was one of the things I wanted to do. Um, and why have I written it? I think what prompted me to write it is uh, ever since I trained as a mediator, I've been really interested in. What are the skills and the tools and the mindset? You know, the process, yes, it it applies to, you know, you can take it into legal disputes. And that's primarily what we're trained to do as mediators. But I've always felt that there's a great window of opportunity for everybody to understand these skills, the tools, the mindset and apply them everywhere, really. Mm. And absolutely, that's what I was writing about in my previous book, um, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and so on. And more now than ever, because as we were discussing just before we came on air, we live in a very complex time, a time of a lot of sort of chaos of change. Nobody quite knows. So there's so many sort of crises we live in. I think I call it a cycle of crises. There's so many things going on. And, and part of that is international conflict. Part of it is conflict between people who believe different narratives about things that they mm. get very emotive about. 
And that's dividing us as individuals, as families and as society. And so I thought more than ever, there's a time to explore again some of the principles that sit behind the work that I do. And one of the things that I actually did before or about four years ago now, so just before the sort of (laughs) sort of pandemic period, if you like, um, I drew a map. I mean, a real map. I, I think it's in the book here. Uh, I'll show a quick picture, but there's a a, a map here. Um, if you can see mm-hmm. a map there um, that I drew, and that represents for me the journey that my clients go on, or all of us go on, but the journey I go on with my clients when we're mediating, when we're working through challenges and conflicts. And there are four basic stages to that map, although there's a lot more detail in it. The first is the storm. So whenever we're in a a period which is unsettled or stormy or something has happened, um, first of all, understanding what were the warning signs? What did Mm. we see or what did we not see? What actually happened? Um, So that's really in mediation. So also on the map is a compass with four points, which represent, again, for me, four these four periods of or four uh, parts in the process of mediation. So in mediation, we're looking at what's happened now, what, what's the narrative, and what do we perceive as being negative about it? And there's this storm period. So we perceive that something has been a crisis, a catalyst, and then just to the side on the map is a great big oak tree which is completely uprooted and that's the that's the sort of center point of the story is that very often and for many people during the last three years they have felt that what they believed to be true about life or their life has been uprooted in some way you know they lost their job they had to work from home you know maybe they had to close their business there were many many or stay away from school There are many things where people's lives were literally uprooted. And that's true of any change or conflict, you know, something uh, that seemed to be solid has gone. Um, So that's that's the sort of first part of the journey. The second part is what I call the murky swamp of reality. (laughs) (laughs) In mediation or when you're dealing with challenges, there's a real need to get clear to find some clarity, what's really going on? What am I experiencing? What evidence do I have? Um, And a need to dig deeper sometimes to find out more. So when you're in the murky swamp, um, or when you, and and I literally, uh, much of this is based on experience. There was a storm very close to where I live that did blow down a great oak tree, the murky swamp. My daughter, actually, we went out many, many years ago at Christmas for a walk and she literally stepped into a murky swamp and mm-hmm. disappeared right into it. When you end up in a murky swamp, your temptation is to sort of keep thrashing around to try and get out of it. And it just makes the water muddier. And mm. and so sometimes, and this is the point um, in uh, dealing with challenges or in a mediation where people, they try and avoid this part. This is the this is the E on the compass. They try and avoid this part because it requires you to go a bit deeper, to explore a little bit more 
what is really going on for you. So we would look in a mediation at what what are your beliefs here? What are your needs? What are your interests? What are your concerns? What are your fears? And much of what's going on for for many people when they're dealing with a crisis is what they fear. Mm. Where do your fears come from? Are they Mm. justified? How do you deal with them? So that's the middle point of the, the map. And the next point is what I call the crossroads and the bridge of courage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, on great. The- these are great names, fantastic. So <laughs> I can understand this. You know why you chose to why it looks like a children's book, but yes. it's not because it's yeah, it's it's very accessible. It makes it really accessible and using those brilliant uh, titles kind of really draws you into a story as well and as humans we learn through stories don't we yeah that's right so the bridge of courage and the crossroads is where you have to make a choice so again uh, you know when you're trying to resolve a um, resolve a problem at work or, or you're in a mediation you've got to then think well what are my options what possible solutions are there and how do I make a choice about those And at this crossroads, there are various things that happen. Um, You can either go one way, which is into the nowhere abyss. And Mm. you see many parties at mediation do that in that they stand on the edge. And, you know, very often they've built up, they've spent so much time and money and resources and, and being right. And they still can't resist wanting to be right. So they'd rather end up in the nowhere abyss saying, I I went down, I went down proving I was right, rather than have a look at, are there some constructive options that take me over that bridge? And it takes Mm -hmm. courage to make that choice, to make that decision, to maybe uh, not put this need to be right and the other person to be wrong at the centre of the process, which becomes ego-based decision-making, but to have the courage to go forward um, in a way that's practical and sensible. So that's the bridge of courage. And then finally, to what I call the mountaintop of experience. And the whole journey is based on a little mole, Morris the Mole. He's appeared actually in all my books. You'll have seen him in the in the other yeah. one. Uh, but he's always been quite a quiet character, moles are, but he's always just been there in the background. And now I decided to write a whole story about him. So this story is written about his journey. He lived in the tunnels underneath the oak tree and his life was therefore uprooted his home and he had to decide am I going to stay in the dark all safe um, and familiar or am I going to go out and find where the path leads to and he sees this mountain in the distance and thinks can I get there you know is there something more to life than I've seen and experienced so he sets out on this journey uh, and the mountaintop of experience is the place we all, maybe when we, one of the things I say is often we go through life without looking up. Mm. You might, I mean, you're familiar with London, Caroline, so am I, mm. I was born there. And very often you can live and work in London for many years without looking up at the skyline, mm. seeing the most amazing buildings and rooftops. And sometimes we don't look up at the stars. So sometimes we don't look up and see the possibility that life actually has for us. And, you know, when we can create a vision of the way forward, and this is true in mediation 
and problem solving as well. What is the vision of a better outcome to this? And when we can find that vision and start working towards it. Uh, and the mountaintop typically is a place where when you get to the top, you've got a bigger worldview. You can see more, you can experience more, you can see all the way around. You've got a 360 degree mm -hmm. view. And and so that's what that, but it, it all the way along this journey, of course, there are challenges, setbacks, dark times, you know, and actually climbing the mountain once you've got to the once you've got to the foot of the mountain is no easy task. So it's just understanding that every time we're trying to deal with a challenge or a conflict, there is a journey to be gone on. There is a process that takes us through that journey. Um, and it's very easy to get stuck. I mean, many, many people just never get beyond the murky swamp of reality. They kind yeah. of stuck there thrashing about forever. Um, but there are opportunities to move through this journey and get to this higher level of thinking, of consciousness, of awareness, if you like. But I think all of us are sort of on that journey, but very often we don't know how to tackle it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Jane. Thanks for explaining that so beautifully. And and I think you're right, though, when you talk about us being on a journey and that actually it takes it takes courage to allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to be open to having a conversation, even a conversation about other alternatives so I think we're so focused when you were talking about looking up I thought god yeah you know I do I personally try and make sure if I'm I'll, I'll think I've been looking down I need to look up at things just at the sky or walking by and you know you'll hear birds singing and I'll be like who's that you know um but we're so focused on surviving and survival is, I think a lot of the time, people think survival is about being right. Mm -hmm. I've got to be, I, I'm, if I, if, you know, in order for me to survive, I do things this way. Um, I'm used to doing things this way. People like routine. They like, they don't like being, uh, uh, moved from routine and and if they are moved from routine there is a there is a real resistance um so as you say thrashing around in the, the murky swamp of reality i think a lot of people are stuck there why do you think that is why do you what do you think this resistance because there's a lot of resistance isn't there i i think well i you know, I, I rely then on, on on the model we use in mediation, which we call the, the PIN model. And you've talked about being right. But that looks at, you know, we've all got positions or a narrative, if you like. And very much in the last three years, we've been presented with many narratives, um, which are unquestionable. But we're presented with a narrative and we have maybe have a different narrative to others. But what sits underneath that? What sits underneath those positions are people's um beliefs, fears, mm. um, maybe their traditions, as you say, their hopes. Um, but fear is one of the big things, I think. There is I think we live in a time which is more fearful than ever it, it has been, um, for various reasons. And you know, one of the things we were talking about is how that manifests in family life, for example. 
um, when we're afraid, our instinct is therefore to try and control things more, to clamp down, to be more in control of our emotions, to be more in control of the narrative, to be more in control of other people. So we seek to sort of micromanage things, mm. make us feel safe. And, you know, that's not the way I was brought up. I'm a, mm. a 1950s child. There's somebody posted yesterday this picture of this enormous slide, you know, which is how slides were when I was a child. Mm. It probably had concrete at the bottom. You know, you would climb this enormously high ladder. And, you know, we did many, many things. And, of course, you want to keep children safe. But many of the things that we did in our childhood would be regarded as incredibly unsafe today. And yet... You know, I would go out to play, no phone, no way of my mother tracking me. So there wasn't this micro managing this control. And I think, you know, partly the appliances that we have, the ability to have phones and track our children and track each other um, and be constantly younger. You know, when I was when I was a trainee solicitor, if I had to go out to court or to a client, mm. You had to find your own way. There wasn't Google Maps. Yeah. You couldn't just pick up your phone and ring back yeah. to the office. You had to find you yeah. know, this idea of navigating, navigating your way through a challenge. All the time now we want to call a friend or ask Google or, you know, get Google Maps to help us. So we've lost the ability to navigate our way through problems. And we constantly want someone else to come mm. to our rescue. And I think that's one of the it's one of the key principles of mediation is what we call self-determination. And it's often very disappointing to parties because they come in and present you with their case and they go, see, I'm right, aren't I? And it's like, well, that's not my job is to decide who's right. My job is to help you decide on the solution to your problem, not whether you're right or wrong. I don't care whether you're right or wrong. You may be right. You may not be right. It's not the most important point. The most important point is what is the best solution to your problem now and for the future and what does that look like? And and so I think we've, we've got used to other people solving our problems for us. We only have to pick up the phone and ring somebody or ask Google or, you know, there are so many protocols now mm. which where you just have to say, well, what does the protocol say? What do the rules say? We've lost our ability to navigate. We've lost our ability to think for ourselves. And one of the most important skills, I think, right from childhood through um, through to adulthood is critical thinking. Yeah. How do we think? How can we think more deeply? So there again, we're back in the murky swamp. How can we think more deeply about this problem? How can we gather more facts rather than just what's been uh, given to us by one particular person or one particular authority and say, yeah, thank you, but let me just explore that. Let me dive a bit deeper into that. Let me find some other information that might also be of interest. Who else is speaking or writing about this? What do they say? Well, we don't do that. Um, yeah, it's very much... Sorry to interrupt you there, but it's it does seem very much a uh, we're in a society of well, uh, TV told me this, or the the media told me this, or so it must be true. Yeah, and and people are very reluctant to 
do any more research or to have a wider view of things because I'll take one because the media wouldn't lie to us, would they? You know, and you're, you know, I find it um, quite surprising uh, that um, people seize a particular viewpoint. They they attach themselves to that viewpoint uh, without looking at any other alternatives or availing themselves of any other information. And then that's it. It's this viewpoint and that's it. And I can't change. Yeah. And that, and that's because that makes us feel safe. There is yeah, safe yeah. certainty. We, our brain loves certainty, actually, as you said. You know, we like to do the same thing every day. One of the questions I asked in my blog yesterday is, you know, did you stick with your Christmas traditions or, or why do you stick? You know, do you go out on New Year's Eve just because everybody else does or would you rather spend a quiet evening in? You know, and I think uh, Stephen Bartlett, the journey of a CEO had said you know you define your own fun Mm. what's fun for you you don't have to do the other thing which was very interesting and I mentioned this in my blog yesterday uh was uh, a psychiatrist called Professor Sam Vaknin and he's talking to a class of students and he's saying to them basically he's saying to them life sucks and you're on your own which is what I'm also saying but he's also saying you know there's a difference between what's normal and what's healthy Mm. so 99% of people can do something because everybody does it and that's regarded as normal but when you look at that say is that safe and is that psychologically and physically healthy for me that's a different question yeah you could be in the one percent and doing something that for you or even for society is actually the better way but because something has been promoted or has been become part of tradition or part of a culture in an organization or in a family that's the way we do things around here or that's what we're required to do it becomes normal or normalized and of course you and I have seen these kind of things in organizations we've worked in Mm. but these are some of the challenges we have to deal with in, in in navigating our own path means actually taking back responsibility for doing our own exploration, doing our own navigating and and finding our own solutions and being prepared to challenge the way that other people want us to take. So there are various characters going back to the story in the story who challenge, he's called Maurice the Mole, who challenge Maurice the Mole along his way to stay safe, not to go on his journey. Mm-hmm. And think of, and we can all think of characters in our own lives who've wanted to hold us back, uh, challenge us not to grow. Uh, and these characters are there. So they're also represented in the story. Who, who holds you back from being your independent, self-determining self? Well, this is it, isn't it? It's usually our families. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but also I think there what's really important, it's this daring to, daring to be yourself. And if yourself is different, then that's okay. You know, if it's if it's if you have a different viewpoint, that's okay. It's difference is good. But I think we have, as you say there, which is really interesting, this whole idea of normal. Is there a normal? I don't think there is normal, but um, there is a normal, but accepted. What's accepted? Is that acceptable? Yes, that the wet, 
you know, to behave like that, that's acceptable. Oh, to do this. Well, I don't know if that's acceptable. And it's like, and like you say, it's normalizing uh, the idea that being, uh, having an alternative view, I wouldn't even say being different because it's, you know, it's having an alternative view. It's, it's okay. I mean, I think I remember in our last conversation, we were also talking about, um, excuse me, we also talked about how now people really can't bear, you know, if you're having a, if you have, we can't agree to disagree, you know, there's this, there's this, uh, this idea that we all have to think this way. Uh, or if you ag- disagree with me, then I can't be your friend or, you know, or, or we, we, our relationship is over. Um, yeah. And that's what we call cancel culture at the end is that, you know, people will say, say exactly that. You know, I, I, I don't want anybody. I, I've seen this on Facebook. You know, anybody who disagrees with me, they can just unfriend me. And you are really, you know, that's such a. It's rather an immature way of yeah. approaching a dissue. I mean, you, you, of course, we all choose who we spend time with. That, for me, is something more m- more about the energy that people bring to a relationship mm. than it is about whether we agree or disagree, I think. Mm. Mm. Uh, but the idea that we should simply cancel people we disagree with is bizarre because I, I think we should be... I think we should be having what I call big conversations. We should be ha- mm. we should be talking about some of these things that we don't all agree on, and we should be able to say, "Well, why don't we agree?" And what you see when you, if I go back to that pin pin model and that and the murky swamp of reality, when you start to go deeper into something and explore what people really want and what they really believe and what they're fit. You know, we're all the same, actually. We're pretty much all the same in terms of what what we want, fundamentally what we want. Mm. Um, How we express that is very different. And, of course, all the conditioning we've received along the way, (laughs) Mm. how we've been conditioned Mm. by our, our families and by society and by the schools we've gone to, all of that. So... Yeah, all of that plays into the um, plays into the mix, doesn't it? It does. It's um, <coughs> excuse me. It's um, I think an interesting um viewpoint. Well, as you were talking, and my mind went back to families, and I thought, wow, uh, families really they they choose things for us because they think it's in our best interest. Um usually um but also this idea of this underlying theme really of people trying to control others this idea of controlling controlling us trying to control things to feel safe and actually realizing and that creates so much stress because when you try and control you can't control everything you know, you can't you can barely, you know, I kind of kind of like get up in the morning and well, okay, here we go. What can I could what can I control? Let's not think about that. You know, it's just like move through the day, be present. But this idea of 
controlling things becomes a real weight around our necks. Mm. I, I want to control what people think of me. I want to control, uh, um, and we can't control what people think of us. But that, but we do see that a lot. You know, I need to, I need to control um, uh, my my behaviour or other people's behaviour. And and as we were talking uh, earlier, when you know we were talking about uh, parents controlling children, this 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 micromanaging, this um, this this fear of allowing them to take any risks. I mean, risk is something that I'm really interested in and want to continue uh, working on with a you know another another project. And this idea, when you talked about the slide, I thought, wow, those slides were really high and they were metal. So in the <laughs> so yeah, so in the summer they were burning hot. Yes, they you know, were. you'd yeah. still go down those, and there was concrete at the bottom. And if you fell, you know, but but play, this is it. Play, we have to be allowed to play. Because when we play is when we learn and when we learn is, uh, you know, I'm playing and, and there's a certain amount of risk in playing, you know, climb a tree, fall out of a tree. OK, I've learned that maybe I don't go that that high, but maybe I need to be more skillful to go higher. You know, there's 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 two sides to everything. But this, as we've seen more more in recent times and obviously post uh, pandemic this idea of not being allowed to take any risks um not allowing absolutely caroline it's been coming for a while hasn't it you know health and safety and of, co of course on one level it's a good thing but if it stops us from experimenting from playing from thinking then we've gone too far. And I think with everything, there's a pendulum effect, isn't there? You, yeah. know, you swing one way and you swing back the other way. And maybe we swing too far, but it's difficult to get back from something where we've created a lot of rules and regulations and um, algorithms that seem to protect us, but where we're not allowing independent thought and analysis. I mean, I don't think my parents ever used to help me with my homework. We just cracked on with it, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, you cracked on with your homework. You went out to play. You went up and down these big slides or climbed a tree or whatever, and then you came home for tea. But, do you know, that 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 was life, really. And And now it's different. And, you know, it's not saying it's completely wrong, but it's saying have we lost, have we lost some elements of, of childhood and of adulthood and of growing up about playing and being creative and exploring have we lost something valuable and precious in the process i think uh, i think with uh, with society at the moment and education and how uh how uh we how there isn't there isn't space actually for creativity and it's and it's really to our detriment because that creative there isn't space for creativity and there isn't space to make a mistake we're we're not allowed to make mistakes because if you make a mistake that's the worst thing ever mm. so 
I really think, and I, I, I had another conversation with an artist about this, and we were talking about, he was talking about a foundation course that he did. Fantastic. Chris Dobrovsky, another episode. And he talked about doing this foundation course and the fact that on the course they were allowed to make mistakes and it was experimenting. And there was so much creativity that emerges from playing, from experimentation, where I think... Currently, we are in uh, economically people are people are struggling. They can't we can't afford to. You know, I don't know how students actually survive. Personally, I don't. You know, I think about when I was a student, and I think about students now, and I'm like, wow, how do you actually survive? It's it's you know, and 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 this idea of uh, how do you how do you stretch yourself? There's no, there's no room to stretch. It's all very much being compacted, being being compacted and sent down a little tunnel. And that's how you do it. Again, with this let's be normal uh, yeah. route. That's a good analogy, Caroline, stretching. I think, you know, yeah, can we stretch? stretch? I, I always love this term, stretch beyond your reach. Yes. Reach that far. But what happens if I go just a bit further? What's there? What's beyond? What, are, you know, I may perceive something as being beyond my reach, but perhaps it's not. Perhaps yeah. It's beyond my reach. Yeah. 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 That's great. And on that, Jane, I think that's, that's, that's <laughs> a really, that's a really good way to, I think, to leave things as well. It's just like to remember actually that things, how we perceive, obviously this is the perception podcast, but how we perceive things and how they actually, and how they actually are, are completely different. And to remember that we can actually stretch. We're allowed to, we're allowed, nobody controls us. You know, we are the, you know, the 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 creators of our own. We are the creators of our own destiny, and I think people forget that. You know. Well, and that's the final frontier, I think, Caroline. It doesn't matter. You know, society will swing backwards and forwards in different ways, but if we stay grounded, and very much this book is about being grounded, and you know, and finding your own path. If you can stay grounded in your thinking and in the way you behave towards others, that that's the key, isn't it? Really, be yourself. Mm. Don't mm. let others take over. You know, that's the one thing that nobody can take from you is your authentic self and who you truly are. Exactly, and and that's such. It's such a. It is a really wonderful thing because we're we're told. We, you know, we're told who we are, but it's actually, it's actually uh, from birth, we're told who we are, you know, uh, but it's actually kind of saying, well, actually I'm this person. I might've been told I'm these things, but I'm allowing myself to take back control and to find my authentic self. It's wonderful. Um, Jane, thank you yeah. so much. It's always a, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Um, and thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for coming onto the show. Um, and where can people uh, 
find your book how can they buy it? i'll put a link if that's all right in the show yeah, notes i'll send you it at the moment it's available from the publisher which is lulu i've self-published it we're waiting oh. for it to go up onto amazon so it, it will get up there eventually be on amazon anybody wants a signed copy uh they're very Ooh. welcome to email me and i'd be happy to sell them a, a copy and sign it if they want it for themselves or as a gift so um, brilliant i can oh. give you my email address as well. Brilliant. You can put that in the notes as well. I'll put all your contact details in the notes, but and the fact that you have a blog. Could you just please also just go through those now or your contact details for us? Yes. Not if there's millions, but you know. There's <laughs> not millions, no. Uh, so my website, it, it's all very simple janegun.co.uk. Email jane at janegun.co.uk. You'll find me on LinkedIn as Jane Gunn, the barefoot mediator. Um, where else? That's it. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I don't really do Instagram, but I need to yeah. get more of these things. But that's basically where you'll find me. Please do email me. Do follow me on LinkedIn. I blog four times a week. So yeah. there's always something. And then if you'd like my newsletter, that comes out. It's coming out today. It comes out bi-weekly and that summarizes my blogs and has all sorts of tips and news in as well. So Fantastic. We Fantastic. Thank you, Jane. And it's Jane Gunn. Gun double N, G U double N. Yeah. Um, wonderful. So thank you, Jane, for coming on to the show. This is a really great way to start the new year. Yeah. I've loved it. Um, yeah, I've really loved it. It's always wonderful having you on. Um, hopefully, you'll be back. Yeah. And, um, and I'd just like to thank everybody for listening to the Perception Podcast. Um, please like and follow and share and subscribe and be your wonderful authentic selves. So until next time, I'll see you on the perception podcast. Bye.